So today we're wrapping up our series called Easy and Light. And we've gotten a ton of great response from this. People's lives really have been transformed by this series uh, because God offers us what we all want. We all want peace. We all want that feeling of peace, that sense of tranquility. In fact, there is a a proverb uh, that's very famous, and it says this, the highest happiness is peace. The highest happiness is peace. When we talk about happiness, and who doesn't want happiness, when we talk about that, we, we want more than anything that feeling of peace, that feeling of serenity, that feeling of tranquility. That's why for a lot of us, we spend a lot of time trying to, to gain that feeling of tranquility. It could be by taking a vacation, you know, for, uh, for our family, it's getting that trailer and heading off somewhere, right? My wife calls that her happy place. We just, we're just get, getting away with the kids, going to someplace nice, just enjoying each other, enjoying nature. Uh, for others, they may go to a spa. I don't know what's in a spa, but I heard there's like saunas and massages. I'm never going to be in one of those things the rest of my life. Uh, but um, I, I hear peaceful things happen in there. It could be why we like our comfortable chair or we get a comfortable mattress or whatever. Comfort can be uh, a type of peace that we get to experience. We invest a lot in our own peace and tranquility. And what we've been studying over the last couple of months here is that Jesus offers it to us, not in just a surface level, not just in a temporary level, but he offers us peace and tranquility at the deepest level. And here's what he offers. This is Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. We've been studying this passage virtually for two months. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. This burden that people have been carrying, a heavy burden of guilt and shame and not measuring up, Jesus says, I'm going to lighten that, taking that from you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we've talked about this easy and light life that Jesus offers. And so to wrap up this series, the question of today is, how can we live into this peace when life falls apart? I just want to warn you, it's a little bit of a, of a heavy series. I just got done with the first one and kind of melted down a little bit. So I may, may not do that again. I'm just warning you, it's a heavy series. We're hitting the, the tough parts of life, but we're hitting it in a real way, an authentic way. Because this is a real question. How can we live into the peace that God offers, this light and easy life offered by Jesus when life falls apart? Now, we've been planning this series for many months, and we planned actually to close out this series by talking about life's tragedies. What happens when life falls apart? We've been planning this for months. And since we've been planning this, um, both locally and globally, we've experienced a lot of tragedy. You know about Hurricane Harvey that submerged America's fourth largest city. The center of the city and the suburbs completely immersed in water. Tens of thousands of people left homeless. Hurricane Irma then ravaged Florida, uh, causing a a couple of billion dollars worth of damage and thousands homeless. Then there were two devastating earthquakes in Mexico City, tragically killing uh, over 90 people, many of whom were children. Then Hurricane Maria virtually destroyed Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico is still an absolute disaster. Over 90% of the country still does not have power. Uh, Many are just scrounging every day for food or for water. Then just a couple weeks ago on October 1st, the Las Vegas shooting killed 58 people, wounded over 500, traumatizing the 23,000 who were there. And now hundreds of thousands of family members are bearing this burden with loved ones. And I know that includes many of us here today. Currently, fires are devastating Northern California. Dozens have been killed by fire and thousands of homes utterly destroyed. 
You add to these tragedies over just the last couple of months to the global tragedies that are taking place now and seem to take place always. South Asia is living under the daily threat of war, terrorism striking all over the globe, oppression of all kinds, civil wars, drought and outbreak of disease seem to be just a common running thing throughout human history. You add to that personal tragedies with which all of us experience at some point or another. The personal tragedies of financial hardship, a loss of job, a loss of a home, a family crisis, infidelity in your home, uh, a loss of a marriage, or a child goes off the deep end, domestic violence, child abuse of all kinds, uh, a horrible medical diagnosis that might even threaten your life or the life of a loved one. Perhaps we've lost a loved one, a spouse, a parent, grandparent, or worse yet, a child. These are the tragedies that all of us will deal with at some point. So when tragedy strikes, particularly when it strikes close to home, we ask ourselves very natural and normal questions. These are common questions that we ask in the face of tragedy. Why is this happening? We want to know why. We're desperate to know why, because if we can answer that question why, then maybe a piece of this tragedy might make some sense. And if it makes some sense, then we may feel a little bit better about the pain. Why is this happening? Or why could there be such evil in the world? How could a good God allow such suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? These are the normal, natural questions in the face of tragedy. I'm gonna give you uh, three possible ways to look at tragedy, particularly in terms of how we view God. Here's three options for you. Number one, we can view God as a dictator. Is God a dictator? And by this we mean, does God cause every good and evil thing to happen for his divine purpose? Is God the, the, the dictator cause of everything good and evil? Does he create evil? Does he cause evil and suffering? Now, for those who believe that God is the sovereign dictator, making everything good happen, making everything bad happen, there are a couple of pitfalls to this. Uh, first of which is fatalism. If we believe that God is nothing but a sovereign dictator, just moving forward his divine plan, it can be a fatalistic sort of approach, that there is no free will, uh, there is no wonderment in terms of what's going to happen. God is just out there like a puppet master pulling the strings. It can result in fatalism. We really have no choice, and really what is the point of it all? It could also result in a God who's a God of recompense. In other words, he is this uh, sort of emotionless, stoic judge, you know, sort of that blindfolded judge with the scales. If something bad happens, he just unleashes bad. If something good happens, he can unleash good. And he's just, just causing a system of recompense, bad for bad, good for good, and, and we could live under the fear of that if God is simply a dictator. There can be a lot of hurt that comes as a result of this view. A lot of people can think, well, bad things happen because you are a bad person. And this is a very common, very normal religious way of thinking. In fact, even here at Rancho, as one of my primary jobs is to walk people in the midst of tragedy very often, what did I do wrong? Maybe I didn't pray enough, or maybe I didn't pray correctly. There's this sense that I didn't do my job, so God is unleashing this tragedy in my life. We could also have this false understanding that God causes all of this calamity uh, to judge us. So for example, you might remember, I think it was about 15 years ago, there was this devastating earthquake in Haiti that killed 316,000 people and caused millions to be homeless. And there's a lot of idiot Christians out there who said, well, God is judging the people of Haiti because of their historical voodoo. I mean, this is, this is what we come to if we think God is just this dictator. He's just out there creating 
this evil to judge people, creating murder and mayhem to just judge people in horrific ways. This thought that if we pray more, pray right, or pray faithfully, use the right words, that God would have answered my prayer because we have to appease him somehow to prevent him from wrath or prevent him from raining down tragedy. Or we can just have a cavalier attitude. Eh, it's just God's will. It's just all God's will. And we have this sort of emotionless cavalier attitude about tragedy. Uh, needless to say, I'm not a big fan of perceiving God as a dictator. The second option and it's sort of the, the pendulum swing away from God being a dictator is that God is simply a bystander. God is a bystander. Now, for those who, who can't get their heads around God being a, an all-sovereign dictator who creates evil, sometimes we go all the way to a bystander. In other words, God observes life alongside of every good and evil thing. Uh, he's experiencing life as it comes along with us. So he's not necessarily sovereign. He doesn't know what's coming. Uh, he... You could say it wakes up every morning, looks at the newspaper, oh, that went bad today. He's just a bystander. Now, this can create a sense that he's a friend, he's experiencing life with us, but it also creates a false reality that he is in fact weak. He's weak, but some people will prefer to perceive God as weak more than perceive God to be a dictator over all of evil. And so it's this bystander approach. Now there's some hurt that can come alongside with this as well. Because even though we might feel that God is a friend experiencing life and experiencing life's tragedies with us, God is utterly powerless. And so there's a, a lack of a foundation under our feet in our faith. And so it can create unsettledness and uncertainty and a sense of powerlessness even in our own uh, psyches and in our own experience with tragedies. A third option that I'd like us to consider, which happens to be my favorite and I think more biblical, is that God is not a dictator, he's not a bystander, he is in fact a father. Scripture's pretty clear about that, like all over the place, cover to cover. Seems pretty clear. And I think this is not just a title, but it's a very deep and rich, profound metaphor, that God is a father. This essentially is the perspective that God is a heavenly father who created humankind in his image, which is very important, he created us in his image, very much like him. He created us to create. He created us with choice. He gave us the freedom to do good or to do evil, yet he is lovingly engaged with us through it all. This is what it means for God to be a father. And particularly in the face of tragedy, this is very, very important here. This is somewhat easy for us to get our, our heads around because perhaps we had a father, perhaps we are a parent, and we understand the role of a parent. And let's just say the role of a parent ain't easy, right? The role of a parent is not easy because parents have some kind of sovereignty over their kids, right? And we exercise it and remove it as we see fit. Perhaps when they're very, very young, we exercise more sovereignty, more control over their lives. As they grow up, we give them a little more freedom, and they are then free to make their choices for good or for bad. If one of our kids makes a good choice, they're kind, they're selfless, they serve, they're generous, we are just absolutely enthralled with that. We love that. If one of our children makes a terrible choice, our heart is broken. Now, we don't go in there and fix it all for them. We don't go in there as though we can make it all better, but we walk with them in their poor decisions, and we walk with them in their good decisions. We walk with them very closely and lovingly when things happen to go well and when things happen to go poorly. This is what God our Father does for us. A responsible parent makes every effort to raise their children by being involved and loving and kind and gracious and forgiving, uh, ensuring that there is also a release so that we can be independent, our kids can be independent and grow up to responsibility to be mature, 
just like all of us parents, right? This is what a parent does. This is what God our Father does for us. Because he's a father, he is neither a dictator nor a bystander. And so there is both a deep relationship with God our Father, but there's also the risk that comes with independence. When God made us in his image, he didn't make us as robots. He didn't make us as just compliant creatures programmed to do what he wants us to do. He created us like him, with creativity, with a measure of independence. And so we make our choices. We make our choices. In Genesis 1, 27, it says this, that God created man in his own image, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. God gave us dominion over this world that he created good. He gave mankind, created in his image, created to create, created to choose, created to make something good or make something bad. He gave us authority, dominion over this world, and he says, rule, rule over it. Rule over everything, every living thing, rule. So the question is this, what have we done with our dominion? What have we done with our dominion? What have we made of this world? As the collective consciousness of humanity, what have we made of this world? The answer is largely a mess. With the freedom God gave us, humankind chose to build a world built on selfishness, greed, power, and violence. This is what humankind has done. Now, you might think to yourself, hey, I'm not particularly selfish or greedy or powerful or violent. Uh, at least I'm not all four of those. I'm, it might be a couple, but I'm not this. Well, you're right. You may not be all this. I may not be all this, but the collective humanity has made a mess of this world. God gave us dominion over it, and we made a mess. We made a mess. And so we're living in that mess. And so as a result, the world is broken. And as a result, the world is filled with every kind of man-made and natural tragedy. And when tragedy strikes, globally or personally, just know that our Father grieves with us. When tragedy strikes this world, our Father grieves with us. He grieves the path that mankind has chosen. But he also is eager to give grace. He's eager to love. He's eager to forgive. He's eager to show us a new way forward and to guide us towards a brighter future. And he's eager to give us his comfort by his presence. And he's eager to give us the comfort from one another. In fact, 2 Corinthians 1, 2 through 5 says this, that he's the father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. What did Jesus say in John 16? In this world, you will have trouble. And, and when we have trouble, our God of comfort will comfort us so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. What is this passage saying? The normal natural rhythm of life is trouble and comfort. Trouble and comfort. That's just the way things are. We ruin this world because of our dominion. And as a result, this world is full of tragedy at times. And when tragedy hits, God's comfort is there. And when tragedy hits, God's comfort pours into us, and then comfort can pour from us into others. So what about our questions? When tragedy strikes, what about our questions? Why does tragedy happen? Why is there evil in the world? How could a good God allow suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, the answer to that is not real tidy with God as a father, not a dictator, not a bystander, but as a father, that answer is fairly complex. It, it's not all neatly tied up in a bow and there are a lot of loose ends, but that's part of the process of walking through this broken world. But given the freedom our father gave us, now get this, it's kind of 
kind of heavy and not real satisfying. Given the freedom our Father gave us, prosperity or tragedy comes and goes upon any particular person, often in nonsensical ways, seemingly random, with no rhyme or reason or purpose. Now, if you grew up in the Christian church, you're like, I don't think so. That's not what I was taught. There's a good for every bad. You know, it's all going to make sense. God's got a grand purpose. All things are good, you know, for those who believe in him. You know, misquoting Romans 8. There's all kinds of platitudes and cliches that this doesn't quite match up with. It's not particularly satisfying that a tragedy could be seemingly random, no rhyme or reason or purpose. But I am telling you, this is life. This is the way it is. This is life in a broken world. The world is just simply broken. Tragedies simply come to the good, to the bad. Tragedies just come seemingly random with no rhyme or reason or purpose. And the sooner we embrace that and the sooner we own that, the better off we're all gonna be. Because people are driven more crazy by trying to answer the why question than they are with the tragedy itself. That was pretty profound. But I'm not gonna repeat it for sake of time. We cause a lot of hurt or we double down on tragedy when we try to tell people there is a, a grand good for your pain. You try telling that to somebody who lost a child. Oh, there's a greater good coming. Excuse me? Sometimes life doesn't make sense and we just have to realize that's the way it is. That's just the way it is. That's why so many times in God's word, there are these cries from godly men and godly women who are just trying to figure out the seemingly random nature of life's tragedies. And as these questions are asked in the scripture, they are never answered. Let's take a look at one of these, Psalm 73, two through three. Behold, this is like a, hey, look at the world. These are the ungodly, they're always at ease, they increase in riches. In other words, why do good things happen to what? Bad people, same questions. Thousands of years, same questions. Then he goes on to flip that around. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocent. For all day long, I've been plagued and chastened every morning. I'm one of the good guys, and yet I'm plagued and chastened every morning. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's the same questions we've always asked. And God never answers those questions. He's just simply saying the world is broken. Things just happen randomly, good, bad to everyone. Are you gonna trust that a heavenly father is walking those with you, right alongside of you, giving you love and giving you grace and giving you comfort and giving you each other to also be loving and gracious and comforting one another? And that God is walking us through those tragedies together. And so the answer to the why question just simply isn't there. But a journey going forward is. And it could be a deep and meaningful and profound journey even when we don't know the answers to the why questions. Or we just answer the why questions differently. For example, I could tell you right now, I know exactly why these hurricanes hit Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico. I could tell you exactly why hurricanes hit Texas, Florida, and Puerto Rico. You wanna know why? Because as warm, moist air rises from the oceans, clouds form winds and wind swirls, and those storms build and sometimes hit landfall. That's why it happens. I know exactly why the earthquakes hit Mexico City. It's because these things called tectonic plates shift every once in a while, sometimes overpopulated areas. That's why that happened. We know exactly why the Las Vegas tragedy happened. A sick, deranged, and calculated evil man plotted for years to take as many lives as possible. That's it. 
And as unsatisfying as it is for the victims of that, I'm telling you the road forward is so much better when we don't try to connect all the dots. There's a freedom there. We know exactly why the fires are ravaging Northern California even right now. It's because man-made or natural causes sparked fires that quickly spread because of thick, dry vegetation and extreme winds. Why do tragedies happen in our own lives? Whether it's a loss of a loved one, financial, you know, just meltdowns, uh, personal diagnoses, why does that happen? Well, there's no answer to that question. There's simply no answer to that question. But God does say this in James chapter one, verse two, God says we will encounter trials of many kinds. And, and that is very intentionally phrased. That word trial has a, a root word that means a pirate attack. You're just sailing along at life and all of a sudden you're attacked. Out of the blue, you're attacked. That's life. That is life. Sometimes suffering hits without explanation. It hits without explanation, without any rationale, without any way to connect the dots. And this drives us crazy because we want to have the answers. We want this tragedy to make some sense. The number one question I get as a pastor is, why is this happening to me? And every time I just say the same thing, I don't know, and I'm so sorry. There's a hug, an embrace, there are tears, there's grief, and we try to get people placed in communities of comfort and care, and we walk together towards a profound journey forward without knowing the answers why, without having everything nice and clean and neat and tidy. See, God is not a maniacal divinity dictating tragedy. We're free from thinking that. God is not just this weak, divine bystander, powerless to do anything. He's just simply not. But God is a loving Heavenly Father who made humankind in his own image and gave us dominion over a world that he created good, and we messed it up. And so we're suffering with the consequences of living in a broken world. But we know that God is a good Father who walks with us through tragedy. He comforts us by his presence, and he comforts us by the presence of one another to heal through life's tragedies and grow through life's tragedies and become better people through life's tragedies to build a better world through life's tragedies. So our Heavenly Father is leading us towards a better and brighter future so that humankind over time will no longer choose the path of selfishness and greed and power and violence, but that we would choose a path of what? Love. God is guiding the whole world towards a whole new future. In the meantime, tragedies will continue to exist and continue to exist as God patiently, as a father, walks us toward a better future. Now, some of us here have had real struggles in life. I, I, I haven't struggled immensely. I've had some issues, you know, certainly growing up in an imperfect home and had a rough medical diagnosis, but things are, you know, pretty clear since then. Um, my suffering has not been very profound. Many of you have walked through horrible things and are walking through horrible things now. But my vocation does include walking with people through suffering. And our family, just a couple weeks ago, did experience uh, a tragedy. My uh, oldest daughter, April, was at the Las Vegas Route 91 concert when the shots rang out. She was by the stage um, where, um, where most of the fire was coming. She was a little bit to the left of the stage. Most of the fire was coming to the right of the stage. 
As soon as they realized that this was gunfire, my uh, daughter was there with her boyfriend and her boyfriend's family, and immediately Jake, her boyfriend, grabbed her, took her to the ground, and covered her. We've got a very high view of uh, Jake now. <laughs> They're right there in the fire. People in front of them and behind them were getting hit. Jake's clothes were, were uh, splattered with blood. And while they were on the ground, they said goodbye to each other. They thought they were going to die. And after what seemed like forever, the fence to the left of them was knocked down. Uh, Jake, in his right mind, got her out of there. Not knowing if they were running towards fire or away from the fire, they had no idea what was happening. There were rumors and Twitter going crazy about terrorism and four gunmen and, and, and gunfire in the lobbies of the big hotels. So he took her to a smaller uh, building, it happened to be a, a Motel 6 that wasn't far away. And he saw that a door was open, and so uh, he, along with about uh, four other couples that were following Jake and April, um, went to the door and asked if they could go in there. And uh, all these couples went in there, uh, and with a family of five, and they bolted the door, and they were hunkering down again, not having any idea what was going on outside, just still hearing the gunshots. And that's when they started sharing their stories. The family that let them in was a homeless family. In fact, the dad just got out of county jail. He still had a county jail shirt on. There were the cardboard signs from panhandling that were all over the room. And they had panhandled enough that day to be able to pay for a night in the Motel 6. This homeless family took my daughter, nine other people, along with their three kids and three dogs. It was quite a party in there. And they started the process of healing together, getting to know each other. Here is this incredible group of people from all different backgrounds just piled in this room, sharing their stories, sharing their fears, sharing their tears, watching Twitter, watching the news, trying to figure out what was going on around them. They started the healing together. And the bonds of humanity started making them stronger. The best in people comes out in the worst of times. We're made stronger, we're made better. What's important in life starts to emerge to the surface very quickly and eventually love wins. Eventually love wins. Now, as we study God's word and as we have a relationship with God, we see the life of Jesus Christ. We study the life of Christ. Every single week we're together in our small groups, we study the life of Christ. Our mission statement is to advance the cause of Christ, right? So it's important for us to understand as we wrap up this series that the love of Jesus Christ shows off not only the heart of God, but displays our own story because Jesus Christ is fully good, fully good, yet his life was defined as tragedy. Jesus was born and raised as a despised peasant from a squatter's village. Jesus lived under the oppressive rule of a tyrannical occupying force. The public ministry of Jesus was all about love and mercy and justice, yet he was rejected by his own hometown, cursed by every seed of power, and conspired against to be murdered for much of his public ministry. He was eventually unjustly arrested, unjustly tried, and unjustly murdered. The murder of Jesus Christ happened over an entire day of torture, including whipping, beatings with sticks, pulling his beard out. 
his hands nailed to a crossbar. He was hoisted up bloodied and naked on a hill overlooking the capital city of Jerusalem. His feet then nailed to a center beam and there for six hours struggled to take each torturous breath until he breathed his last breath in which he said, it is finished. The life of Jesus is the full expression of the love of Christ, but the life of Jesus is also the full expression of our own story. God made this world good and the world was swallowed up by evil. The world is swallowed up by tragedy, even leading to death. But on the third day, Jesus rose again. On the third day, Jesus rose again. That's not only the story of the victory of God through Jesus Christ, but it's the story of what God is going to do through us and what God is going to do in this world. God is bringing resurrection. He is bringing resurrection. When your life goes through tragedy or you see tragedy someplace in the world, just know that's the way it is. This is a broken world. Humankind has, has, has made this world to be very broken and we're living with the consequence of it. But Jesus Christ became part of our tragedy. He was swallowed up in tragedy. He was swallowed up in death to be the full expression of love. God says, I am with you and I'm walking this with you and I'm never gonna leave you and I'm never gonna forsake you. I'm walking this tragedy with you. My son, Jesus Christ, lived this tragedy with you. But trust me, there is healing ahead. There is hope ahead. There's a better world ahead. And there is a future ahead, an eternal future ahead, where love wins over all. That's our story. That's the story of walking with God together, who's not a tyrannical dictator. He is not a weak bystander. He's a loving heavenly father who gave us some independence and gave us freedom. And now he's walking with us through the consequence of that towards a better and brighter future ahead. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that you're a loving heavenly father. You're not a dictator, you're not a bystander. You're a loving father. You created this world good. You gave us dominion over this world. And God, we confess that we messed it up. Every single one of us has played our part in messing this place up. But you don't leave us. You don't forsake us. You don't abandon us. You don't just rain down judgment. You're a loving heavenly father who gives grace. You give forgiveness. So we receive your forgiveness. You've proven your love. You've proven your grace. You've proven your forgiving work by sending your son, Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, to live in our tragedy, to be swallowed up by our tragedy, even becoming the sin of this world on the cross and paying for it all so that we can be forgiven now and forever. Thank you that there is victory. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that not only are we forgiven, but there is an eternal life ahead. There's a better future ahead and that love wins overall. So God, for those who are experiencing tragedy in this room, I pray that you would Give them that sense of comfort from a father who cares. Walking with us, walking through tragedy with us, comforting us and giving us one another for comfort and peace so that we can experience that tranquility even through the tragedy. It's a gift that we receive from you by your love through Christ Jesus, your son. In his name we pray, amen.